Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, this is Tom Dunlap. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks for joining us. With us this week, we've got Mark Nichols. Mark is the chief counsel for the Federal Aviation Administration. He was appointed by Joe Biden fairly recently and has taken over a massive department with more than 300 employees, I think most of them attorneys, involved in protecting and administering the legal side of the Federal Aviation Administration. And there is a lot there, I can tell you. So without further ado, Mark, thanks for joining us. Welcome. And uh, oh, and I'll, for full disclosure, listeners, Mark and I, uh, I went to law school together. So <laughs> that's probably why he's on the show. But uh, And I've kept up with Mark over the years, and his career has been amazing. Uh, so, Mark, what, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be. Uh, how, you went from being, I know, in, at WNL, <laughs> in your undergrad, you were a Republican kind of leaning, you know, uh, to getting appointed by Joe Biden to be chief counsel of the FAA. So let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. But thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's great to be on. Um, and it's wonderful to have watched your career as well develop uh, since we left Washington and Lee. I'm sure that Washington and Lee has, between the two of us, got sent how many um, uh, notices for um, contributions <laughs> as alumni, uh, given our relative success. So, um, But thank you again for having me on here. So I grew up in Utica, New York, um, which is about 45 minutes east of Syracuse. You know, largely Italian um, uh, population, um, you know, so much so that I took Italian in high school. Um, wow. and, <laughs> I was um, say, don't look Italian, but I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Well, one of my, one of my Italian teachers uh, uh, used to jokingly call me Marco Nicolosi. Um, and, and I only mentioned that is because about two or three years ago, I was visiting uh, Sicily um, in, in, in Italy, and there is a town actually called Nicolosi. Um, and so, of course, I had to stop and I'd take a picture and, and, and send it off to, to my former Italian teacher. And at any rate, so, you know, when I, I grew up in Utica, we're a fairly uh, indigent family. You know, my mom was on food stamps. She was in and out of prison, you know, for various crimes, uh, you know, uh, drug abuse. Um, you know, so I don't say that to, to solicit any any sort of, oh, you know, look what he's what he's done. But, you know, it sort of starts to color a little bit about where I was um, initially in my life. My grandfather was a Republican. Uh, my wow. grandmother, my grandmother was just completely the opposite. <laughs> Um, and so they introduced me to a lot of the a, a lot of the political stuff that I knew growing up. My my mother was really non-political, and you know, and I, I didn't spend a lot of time with her anyway. You know, uncles and aunts who raised me up in and around the country, living in Philadelphia and Long Beach, California, and Indiana, and 
et cetera. So, um, so I got most of my politics from my from my grandparents, but you know they really kind of imbued in me a sense that it was everybody's responsibility to really take advantage and share with the country whatever skill sets you have to the extent you can for as long as you can. And so that has always stuck with me, you know. Uh, and so whatever community I was ever in, I you know I tried to get involved politically or tried to get involved civically or or, or what have you. And so that sort of started the genesis of, uh, you know, who, how I sort of ended up in this position is, you know, over the arc of my of my life and career, you know, when you're involved in, in civics and, and politics and hopefully having some modest, modicum of success in it, you, know, you start to kind of get to a point where, you know, hopefully people are taking notice and, and you start working on a, on a much bigger scale. You were at uh, Rolls-Royce, and then you were chief counsel for Saab in the United States. I have to imagine, I know this is a fact, federal government salaries are public. It's got to be less than working for anybody else, right? You took a big, I mean, this is, I mean, so you, you went, and there was, Saab wasn't like, oh, we don't want Mark anymore. I know they loved you. I, I talked to you while you were there, obviously, did some things with you, but um What's the impetus for you taking this? This is that is that where this comes from? This public service. Well, well, part of it is the, the public service. You know, as you rightly pointed out, I started my life more in the Republican circles, which in upstate New York was kind of, it's not quite the conservative Republicanism that we see today. It's a, a bit more New England liberal Republican ish. Um, you know, so you know, take that with a grain of salt when I say Republican, but. You know, when I was in college, I, I was the you know biggest cheerleader for Clarence Thomas. Um, now I couldn't be more not necessarily anti Clarence Thomas as a person, but you know, uh, you know, uh, in terms of our view of the law and and how it shapes people's lives and how it can affect people's lives, it, it's very different than 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 it was when I was twenty twenty two years old. For those of us uh, who could take the pay significant pay cut, as you rightly point out, uh, which as you can imagine, with that conversation with my spouse was. Really, you want to do what? <laughs> um, but you know, I think we I'm both pay for things. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and by the way, there's so if you're a political appointee in the government, they don't pay for moving you across the country to to relocate to Washington. So you actually oh. have to pay to move yourself. Um, and the only saving grace there was that my brother-in-law owns a moving company. <laughs> That's no idea. As a second lieutenant, the lowest of the low in the army, they paid for me to move. Yes, chief counsel. Yeah, that's it's it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. But 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 there it is. So I I you know I had to talk to my spouse uh, Jamie into letting me take this role. But you know it really wasn't as hard to sell as you might think because I think we both thought you know after the four years of the last administration and our humble opinion, you know the country needed you know hopefully high quality leaders to step up re-engage, show that public service really means something and can mean, mean something quite valuable and, you know, and, and not degrade it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I was relatively young enough in, in my career that I could still do this move. Um, and so that, that really was what drove me to, to, to accept the president's uh, appointment. Um, and it's been, it's been an absolute um, joy and I'm glad I did it. I love to hear you say you're young enough in your career because we were in law school. We're, we're basically the same age. And I keep worrying that I'm I'm getting like am I getting to the end of my career? But you know, I have partners who are 20 plus years older. 
but it's insane. I love hearing as a lawyer, you can be 50s-ish or late 40s, early 50s, and you're young in your career. So talk a little bit about that. So since we're talking about the background of Mark and you, and we know you went to Wabash, and then you went to Washington and Lee, and then you were at Rolls-Royce and then Saab, I think that's right. Yeah. And, 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 then, and I, I spent the stint as inspector general for the government printing office. Um, oh. uh, and I also um, worked for a congressman uh, uh, up on Capitol Hill for a little while. And, you know, I've been in and out of Washington. Um, you know, this is my third or fourth time actually living here, um, and, you know, doing things. But when I, I remember when uh, I left the congressman's office uh, and his chief of staff, then whose name I, as, escapes me at the moment. Um, you know, he asked me if I would ever come back and serve uh, in government again. And I said, yes. But what this experience taught me is that the next time I come back, it'll be my name on the door. I, I don't know if you, you've heard of this concept, and maybe I'm going way off track here. And, but there's this concept in a book that I had to read a long time ago in OCS, nothing to do with the movie. So maybe I haven't read it, Starship Troopers, Heinlein, put forth the idea that in order to vote and to be a citizen of a country, and he did it as citizen of the world in his future dystopia, utopia. I don't know what it was, but you had to serve and you didn't have to be in the military. It could be like in the civilian corps, but you had to serve somehow. What do you think of that? And how has that shaped? I mean, obviously you said that's a big part of your life, but how does it shape how you view others through that lens? Or do you view others through that? I don't view others through that lens because I think different people have to do what they think is right for their lives. And, you know, I, and I try not to be judgmental about what people feel like they need to do it for me. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, the Christian liberal tradition of which I count myself, you know, to me, it's an important component of who I am and what I am and how I want to be uh, remembered long after I'm gone about the type of person I was and the, how I helped to contribute to society. You know, everybody's going to have a different uh, role about what that means for them. What I tell tell young people, um, you know, when, when they ask me for career advice is, uh, we'll get to your career advice, but let me give you some life advice. You will have a better, more fulfilling career if your career isn't solely about you. On that note, and you can tell me if you're like, nope, don't want to talk about this. So your life, I know this as your friend, but your life recently changed, yes. um, big, a big change. And so has that shaped how you've interacted with the outside world or with your job or with what you do in life? How is that? And I don't know if you want to talk about that, but if you do, I'd be happy to talk about it. My mother had me when she was 14 years old. <laughs> Uh, and my father was, you know, somewhat you know, significantly older. You can sort of think about how that sort of played itself out back in back in the day. I didn't have any relationship with my father um, growing up. You know, I met him twice in my life. Uh, once when I was seven. Once when I was eighteen. Uh, we tried to have a relationship, and it just didn't take. And so I, I I didn't have any relationship with him at all. Then about two or three years ago, long story short, I went sort of trying to see if he had a Facebook page. I found the Facebook page, you know, and I was sort of kind of thinking about whether I was going to reach out or not, because, you know, frankly, he hadn't reached out to me since we were, since he saw me when I was 18. I'm, you know, 52 now. Uh, I decided at that point not to. Fast forward six months, I decided, oh, well, you know, I remember meeting a, a couple of kids who were introduced to me as potential brothers and sisters, if I remember correctly. 
So maybe I can have a relationship with them, but I didn't know whether they knew I existed or, you know, what the story was, blah, blah, blah. So after some digging around, I discovered that my father had uh, eight other kids, of which I am the oldest of, <laughs> of the bunch. We, just last week, we actually learned that there's a ninth kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, so the numbers You're just not keep going. Into, right? No, I, I spoiled your punchline. Okay. Yeah. Ahead. So you know, they, every week the numbers keep going up. Um, but you know, but the long story short is that my youngest sibling, who just turned seventeen, unfortunately, his mom passed away from breast cancer earlier this year, uh, and so we have inherited him. You know, I'm now his permanent legal guardian. You know, I never thought I'd have kids. Because I didn't have any kids, you know, before uh, Daniel came to live with us, and so it has really kind of taught me. I think what most parents uh, on here are not going to be surprised to hear is that you learn how to be more patient. You learn how to have to explain things a little bit more. You you learn the value of what's really important um, and, and what's not, and you try to convey a sense of calm, um, you know. And that has helped me in this job because you know I uh, I, I started this job. Uh, you know, I started being vetted for this job last year when, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm in the middle of being vetted by, you know, the presidential um, office. And I'm learning that I have, you know, eight other brothers and sisters I didn't know. And I all happened about the same time. You know, and then this year, you know, I start the job in January. Um, you know, we end up moving to D.C. in March. We discovered that Daniel's mom has, uh, you know, uh, terminal cancer at the end of March. He comes to live with us in early April, <laughs> you know, and, and so it, it, it's just been this like, um, you know, a, a amazing life change, uh, you know, and I, I really thank my spouse who, who's kept uh, probably all of us sane throughout this, you know, he's a former educator. And so there's, there's some sense of, of pedagogical skill sets, I'm sure, at work here. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it has, you know, really kind of taught me um, how to, I think, be a better manager, um, you know, that I didn't maybe realize, um, you know, how much I perhaps needed that, you know, th th that appreciation uh, to slow down, to explain, to, you know, to, to, to kind of project a bit more calmness. And I try to do that now. That's amazing. So instant family this year. So you've moved, you've taken a huge pay cut, become a public servant once again. You now have 300 employees for which you're probably underpaid for managing. Set that aside. And you now have a teenage boy enrolled in DC public schools. Hopefully Jamie's helping with a lot of that because you, you know, fairly busy job. Amazing background. Mark, I'd like to ask you next week, I'm going to come back to our listeners and some of which are our viewers and ask you about a big challenge you overcame. You just went through like 20 challenges. Essentially, you, you, you were born and it was a challenge from there on out. So fair. And, uh, and you grew up in, in, in tough circumstances and have, have kind of just stayed optimistic throughout, at least as long as I've known you've been very optimistic and, and goal-oriented. So next week, if you could come back with a challenge that you thought was particularly useful um, and share with our listeners what the challenge was and how you overcame it, and they take from that experience what they will. But a lot of people listen for that that segment. So I'll let you think about it. In reality, listeners, as you know, Mark and I are going to spend three minutes here and he's already had time, but we'll see you guys next week. Um, Mark, thanks for joining us this week on the Black Letter Podcast. 
Download us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, YouTube, of course, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all that happy stuff. We'll see you next week on the Black Letter Podcast. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.